Lord, I pray that you would help us now. I pray that you would uh, strengthen us to hear your word. I pray that you would strengthen us physically uh, as we um, listen to what your spirit says to the church. God, I pray you would strengthen us in our inner man especially to grow us in faith and hope and love and Christ-likeness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll open the Bible with me, please, to Acts 2. Acts 2, we come to the end of this great chapter today. This chapter has been all about what God did on the day of Pentecost. And remember that Pentecost was that day when the Lord Jesus poured the Holy Spirit on His followers. They all received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then the Lord sent supernatural signs to prove that this little group of 120 disciples had received the Spirit. Do you remember tongues of fire appeared over each head? And each of them started speaking words of prophecy and language that they didn't know. And these miracles were an announcement that the promised spirit was being given at long last. Christians were going to receive from Jesus the gift of the Holy Spirit from then on. And so it is today. So beginning at Pentecost, the disciples of Jesus were indwelt by the Spirit, were united with each other by the Spirit in one body, and also empowered by the Spirit to live as Christ's witnesses. And so Peter, right away, empowered by the Spirit at Pentecost, began to speak about Christ to a crowd of Jewish onlookers, a crowd who just so happened to be the same crowd that demanded Jesus be put to death a few weeks earlier. And Jesus uh, was boldly proclaimed by Peter there, his death, his resurrection, his exaltation, and then Peter, you remember, gave incredibly good news to this crowd of Christ's former enemies. Look at verse 38. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 41 says that 3,000 people from the crowd did that. They believed what Peter said about Christ. They trusted in the good news of salvation in Christ's name. They repented of their sins. They were baptized as a public demonstration of, of that repentance and faith in Christ. And so, the promise came to pass that all 3,000 of those people received forgiveness of their sins, and each one received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Notice. What don't we read about all of these people when they received the Spirit? Tongues of fire do not appear over these 3,000 heads. They did not start prophesying in foreign languages. What was the evidence then or the immediate effects that the Holy Spirit had been given to these first Christian converts? Well, the next passage tells us. Look, look at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. 
Verse 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. The immediate effect the Spirit of God had on these people was to make them a part of committed Christian community. The Spirit made them devoted members of Christian fellowship who pursued together teaching, prayer, worship. If you want to see the Spirit of God at work today, this is what you need to look for. Not for tongues of fire appearing overheads. Look for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit by looking for Christ followers joined together in a fellowship of love, generosity, hospitality, and witness, united around the Word of God. Another way we could say this is that the final achievement of Pentecost was the Holy Spirit forming a vibrant local church. The early church of Jerusalem. And the lasting effects of Pentecost then can be seen today in spiritually vibrant local churches. And by that I mean churches that look something like Acts 2, 42 through 47. These verses show us what a church will look like when it is under the sway of God's Spirit and yielded to God's Spirit. So we'll see first in these verses the devotion of a Spirit-filled church and then the disposition of a Spirit-filled church. Look again at verse 42, the devotion of a Spirit-filled church. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Well, this verse sums up the church's devotion. The next verses are just going to explain or expound upon the summary given in this verse. Now, before we start looking, though, at, at the four activities listed here, consider first what it meant that they were devoted to them. To be devoted to something is to consistently give your time and energies and resources to something. Well, if that's what it means to be devoted to something, what are you devoted to? What do you consistently give your time and energies and resources to? The answer to that question is what you are devoted to. You know, some translations try to capture this idea by translating the Greek word as uh, they continually devoted themselves to these things, or, or they continued steadfastly in them. At, at other places in the Bible, this word is translated, be constant in. So, so they became absorbed in these commitments, continually, constantly, consistently, steadfastly. They, they gave their time and energies to biblical teaching, fellowship, bread-breaking, and prayer, and to experience the fullness of God's plan for a Spirit-filled local church, you have to immerse yourself in these things. Now, the idea here is not just that each Christian devoted himself individually to these activities on his own. Remember verse 41, 
Uh, just as soon as these people were converted and baptized, immediately they were added to the church. And then they became devoted to doing all of these things in verse 42 together. They were referred to collectively as a group, as them in verse 42. You know, sometimes I hesitate to emphasize these truths because uh, I don't want to come across as self-serving. I'm a pastor of a local church talking about how important the local church is, right? Easy for me to say. But this is what we see in the Bible, that the Christian life is a churched life. Through, throughout the New Testament, following Christ is fleshed out largely by devotion to the life and fellowship of a local church. Acts 2. Now, the word in verse 21, excuse me, 42, I'm not sure why I subconsciously cut that in half. This word in verse 42 translated, uh, devoted themselves to, that, that's actually used again in the passage in verse 46. It's hard to tell that in the ESV because there it's translated as attended. 46, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. But, but we could read that, since it's the same word, day by day they were continually devoting themselves to being in the temple together and to breaking bread in their homes. They were devoted to gathering. You can add that as a sermon point to your outline. I know there are already a lot of points there, and we started late, but, but here's another point. They were devoted to gathering. They gathered both as a whole church at the temple complex and as smaller groups in private homes. Verse 46 makes this clear. So from the very beginning, there are regular corporate gatherings of all the church and smaller gatherings in houses. And the purpose of both the whole church and various gatherings are devotion to the four things in verse 42. Those four activities characterize both the home fellowships and the church's corporate worship. So let's look at these more in depth, and, and we'll spend most of our time looking at these four. So first, uh, verse 42 said, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. For us, that looks like being devoted to the Word. Devoted to the Word. The apostles were chosen by the Lord to be His authorized spokesmen, like the Old Testament prophets were. They were the authoritative representatives and witnesses for Jesus. Jesus personally taught these men. And they had personally witnessed Jesus' ministry. And they had personally heard His teachings. They personally saw Him die and rise and ascend to heaven. The Lord sought to confirm the message He gave to these apostles by working miracles through them. You see that at the end of verse 43. It says, Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. You see that? It doesn't say many wonders and signs were being done by all who believed. Specifically, it was the apostles, and that's what keeps happening in Acts. Acts 5.12 says, Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people, by the hands of the apostles. These signs were proof that the apostles taught about Christ with authoritative words that were from God. And this is why in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, 
the Apostle Paul describes the wonders and the miracles that he did as the signs of a true apostle. God did wonders through these men so that the church would know to devote themselves to their teaching. The miracles God sent, much like the miracles God sent Moses, it confirmed their message about Christ as being truly from God. And we have the teaching of the apostles today written down in the Spirit-inspired words of the Bible. The apostles, what were they teaching? We saw it in, in Acts 2 earlier. They taught how the Old Testament pointed forward to Christ. That's our Old Testament. They taught about what Christ said and did in His ministry. That's what we have in the Gospels. And they taught uh, what that meant for us, how we should live and, and what we should look forward to based on what Christ has done. That's what we have in the rest of the New Testament. So we learn from Pentecost then that, that a spirit-filled or spirit-controlled church will be a church devoted to the teaching of the Bible. You know, sometimes people try and pit a church committed to Bible teaching against a church committed to letting the Spirit lead and committed to the Spirit's power. And that's a false dichotomy. The very first thing that we read regarding the church of Pentecost, which was a church filled with the Spirit if there ever was one. But before anything else, we read about them, that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were consistently giving time and energy to doctrine, to truth, to growing in the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. A Spirit-directed church will be devoted consistently and steadfastly to the teaching of the Bible. So that's why when we gather all together as a church, we try to devote ourselves to the teaching of the apostles. We read the Word, preach the Word, confess the Word, sing the Word, pray the Word, and even, in a sense, see the Word in, in the visible representations of the Gospel that, that are the Lord's Supper and Baptism. Two practices that Christ commanded us to do. Now, before we feel too self-satisfied, just filling our worship service with Bible doesn't necessarily mean we're truly devoted to its teaching. How eagerly do you receive the word when it's read and preached? How sincerely do you speak the word when we sing and confess it? How earnestly do you agree in faith with the Word when we pray Scripture-informed prayers and when we take the Lord's Supper? Might it be that sometimes we are not devoting ourselves to the Word as much as our bulletin front makes it seem with all those passages listed? How are we hearing the word? How are we responding to the word? Are we hearers only who, who forget when we leave this place? Like people who look in the mirror and then walk away and immediately forget what we looked like. To be devoted to the word must mean, doesn't it? Doing the word and hearing it with hunger and earnestness and in faith. You know, perhaps you've heard all of this about the church gathering and their devotion to the Word, and, and you're realizing that you should gather with other church members more often. 
to devote yourself to the word with fellow believers more consistently. The more we devote ourselves to biblical teaching, the more we can experience and enjoy together the fullness of the Spirit's ministry. Now, the second element of the church's devotion is found in verse 42. It's they devoted themselves to fellowship. Devoted to fellowship. And the word translated fellowship means most basically sharing something in common with someone else. The, the idea is a shared life or common life. The root idea of sharing or common, it's more obvious in the original Greek. The, the word underneath fellowship in 42 is koinonia. And that comes from a root word, koinos, which is found just a couple of verses later in this passage. In verse 44 at the end, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They had all things koinos. So for the church members to devote themselves to koinonia, or fellowship, I meant devoting themselves to commonness, to having a common life together, to having a shared life. And there's a profound reality that fueled this shared life experience that they pursued. There was a fixed, objective, spiritual reality. They did have a shared life in the Spirit. Each one was now indwelled by the Spirit. Each one had fellowship with God and shared life and love and fellowship with the triune God. And so because that was true objectively of each one who was given the Spirit, that, that sharing life and love with God led to sharing life and love with one another. A shared life, fellowship, fellowship with God fuels our fellowship with one another. And the church in Acts 2 was devoted to pursuing this, this shared life with other believers in the Spirit. And we see that this shared life was expressed in very concrete ways, very concretely. You could literally see the shared life they had in Christ because they actually shared their lives with each other. They were together a lot. They were devoted to gathering. Verse 46 said, day by day, house by house, and even that the whole church gathered very often. They devoted themselves to their shared life in Christ by sharing their time with one another. And they did it also by sharing their stuff with one another. Again, the end of verse 44, all who believed had all things in common. And the next verse, verse 45, gives more details of what that looked like. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, this is not saying that every believer immediately sold everything they had and they all started living together in some kind of commune out of one common purse. No. Note uh, the tense of the verbs. They were selling their possessions and belongings and were distributing. Okay, this was ongoing action. This was not a once-for-all, sell-it-all kind of thing. And notice also, uh, verse 46 says they were breaking bread in their homes. So they didn't all go sell their homes or the household goods required for sharing meals together. 
Notice also uh, at the end of verse 45, they distributed the proceeds or distributed their goods as any had need. So whenever someone in the church family needed something to that degree, they were willing to give up what they had to meet the need. Now, don't hear those qualifications and let it uh, take the teeth out of this challenging standard. This was really sacrificial generosity. Uh, They're not just giving excess cash they had lying around or stored up to meet each other's needs. They, They are selling off some of their possessions to help meet the needs of others in the church family. That's devotion to fellowship, a common life. Being devoted to fellowship requires being devoted to generosity. Our shared life in Christ should be seen in a thousand concrete ways. Shared time and shared space. Shared belongings and resources. Shared joy and sorrows and and burdens. If we share with one another life and salvation in God... Should we not also share with one another in these lesser things? Now, the next element of the church's devotion in verse 42 is the breaking of bread. And that's the next main point. The Spirit guided the church to be devoted to breaking bread. And you could view this as a subset of the church's devotion to fellowship. The way that verse 42 is worded probably indicates we should understand Uh, activities three and four as informing activity two, by which I mean we should understand the church's devotion to fellowship as being expressed through devotion to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And, And really, that should make sense to you that part of sharing life in Christ includes sharing meals and being in each other's homes. Look again at verse 46, day by day, attending the temple together. And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. I like how the NASB has it. Breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together. Don't underestimate the spiritual power and blessing of sharing a meal with fellow believers. Learn this from the Spirit-filled Church of Pentecost, the original The Pentecostal church in Acts 2. Devotion to fellowship means devotion to hospitality. You should think of this devotion to breaking bread and devotion to hospitality also as being related to the other three devotions in verse 42. We've talked about how it's related to fellowship, but it's also related to devotion to the word and devotion to prayer. Right, the fellowship that happens in our homes with each other, as informal as they may be, that can always include fellowship around the Word, talking about it, fellowship in prayer. Uh, you know, we, we keep a pretty minimal church calendar around here, and we don't want to uh, fill up your calendar with a lot of programs and events most days of the week because we want you to have time to do this to invite people over and be devoted to breaking bread, house to house. If we're going to practice hospitality according to the New Testament model, 
if we're going to fold new people into the life and love of our church family, if we're going to reach out to neighbors in substantial ways through hospitality and other get-togethers, we actually need time to do all of those things. And so we try and keep things relatively open to give you time to do it. Are you doing it? Uh, Don't interpret an empty church calendar as meaning you don't have the opportunity to devote yourself to fellowship. In our view, an open church calendar is an opportunity for you to devote yourself to fellowship. It's an invitation to share life with each other in Christ. Doing this, we know, it takes personal initiative. It requires sacrifice. But experiencing life together in the Spirit is worth it. The glory it brings to Christ is worth it when we, when we share life with each other this way. The way it blesses others in our church family is worth it. And if Jesus is right, and He is, when He said that it is more blessed to give than to receive, then the way it will bless us is worth it too, to practice this Christian hospitality. Now, there's one other aspect involved in this devotion to breaking bread in Acts 2, and that's taking the Lord's Supper together. Verse 42 seems to be speaking about something more than just sharing meals together in homes, like verse 46 talks about, because the wording in verse 42 is more formal, more specific. Uh, They were devoted to the breaking of bread. And reading about the church's devotion to the breaking of bread should make us think back to what we have read in the Gospels. When Jesus took bread and he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you, do this in remembrance of me. I think this is what the phrase refers to later in Acts, in Acts 20 verse 7 where it says, on the first day of the week, the believers gathered together to break bread. So by Acts 20... The church was coming together on Sunday, the first day of the week, and when they did, they gathered to break bread. I think that refers to their observances of the Lord's Supper together, which was probably part of a larger fellowship meal or love feast they would share as a church as well. When we devote ourselves to this breaking of bread together, it expresses the fellowship we have with God and with each other And it reminds us that the reason we have both fellowship with God and one another is because and only because of the death of Jesus that takes away our sins. And when we remember together our salvation in Christ at this table, the Spirit works in us to make us want to continue to be devoted to fellowship with God and one another. Now the last devotion of the church listed in verse 42 is prayer. As our next main point, a spirit-filled church will be devoted to prayer. Now, before Pentecost, in Acts 1, when the original 120 disciples waited for the gift of the Spirit, Acts 1.14 says, all of them, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. So, so in the next chapter, when the 3,000 are converted and added to the church... They are joining a fellowship that was already devoted to prayer. And they joined in on that devotion. Uh, If if we can say that devotion to the Word has a special place, being the first devotion listed in Acts 2.42, 
We can also recognize that devotion to prayer has a special place in well because that is the devotion of the church that's mentioned most often in Acts. As we move through the book of Acts together, we will see examples of the church's devotion to prayer repeatedly. To be a church that knows and experiences the power of the Spirit, we must devote ourselves to prayer together. Now, this this word translated devote yourself to, it's used several other places in the New Testament and especially used in association with prayer often. In Romans 12, 12, the same word is used and there it's translated be constant in prayer. The same word is used in Colossians 4, 2 and there it's translated continue steadfastly in prayer. A different form of the same word is used in Ephesians 6.18, and there it's translated as perseverance in prayer. Pray at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, and to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. So constant, persevering, continuing, steadfast prayer, that's the model we have In the early church in Jerusalem, that's the command we have to the early churches in Rome and Ephesus and Colossae. We must give ourselves to prayer. Now again, the wording of verse 42 is somewhat specific. They devoted themselves to the prayers. And that specific sounding language probably refers to the set times of prayer that happened when the whole church came together. Uh, the prayers that were part of their corporate gatherings. Now, of course, each one of us should be devoted to prayer in private. Like Jesus said, go be alone with God in your closet and pray. But, But we should also devote ourselves to prayer together in our church gatherings. And so we try to. We we want our times together to be marked by Uh, substantial times of prayer and all the different kinds of prayer that God would want His people to devote themselves to. When we pray together as a church, let's try to be devoted to it. To pray with with all your energies of your heart that you can muster with your brothers and and sisters. In our our worship services, but also in our smaller, less formal uh, house-to-house gatherings too. Let's devote ourselves to prayer. I would invite you to Also dream and and plot about how you could pray more with other members of this church family and how we could pray in a more devoted way together. A spirit-filled church will be a church devoted to corporate prayer and public prayer and gathered, united, steadfast prayer. So those are the four devoted activities of the church, the Spirit formed at Pentecost, according to verse 42. And the last verse of the passage, which we haven't really looked at yet, I think we can find two more devotions we could add to the list. So if you look at verse 47, you'll see at the beginning that the Spirit-filled church of Pentecost was devoted to worship also, devoted to worship. Verse 47 says, they were praising God. Now, this is related to their devotion to prayer. Their prayers included prayers of worship. But their praising God included more than just prayers. They praised God as they spoke to one another. 
This devotion included songs of worship, I'm sure, and likely corporate confessions of praise as well. The Holy Spirit spurs worship. He comes upon the people of Christ on a mission to glorify Christ. Do you remember when the original 120 disciples of Jesus received the gift of the Spirit, they were filled right away with praise. Up in verse 11 of Acts 2, uh, the, the onlooking crowd says, We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. They're, they're speaking words of praise about God. And so a few hours later, many in that crowd joined the Spirit-filled church. And, and so they joined them in praising God after the Spirit converted them. Consistently, we could think of lots of examples in the Bible that this is the effect the Spirit has on people. They worship. So a Spirit-filled church will be a church full of God's praises, continually devoting themselves to worship. And lastly, we... Also see in this marvelous passage, the church of Pentecost was devoted to witness. Look at verse 47 again. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Well, if the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved, that implies these believers were devoted to evangelism of some kind. Day by day. That's what the book of Acts has taught us to expect. Hasn't it so much of the emphasis of chapters 1 and 2 in Acts has been on how the Spirit comes to give power for witness? And so the Spirit-filled church of Pentecost was devoted to that. Apparently, daily even. And the Spirit was doing incredible things through the witness of this newly formed church family, converting sinners, adding to the church family day by day. And the wording of verse 47 stresses that all of these salvations were ultimately due to the Lord's work, His sovereign initiative and power, not the earnestness or effectiveness of the believers. It, it says the Lord was adding to their number those who were being saved. The saving and the adding was God's work. So, so while we don't need to take upon ourselves the really crushing burden of responsibility that we're the ones who will save anyone or add anyone ultimately to this church, that's the Lord's work. Still, God calls us to be faithful, prayerful, devoted witnesses to the gospel. And as we do that, we can trust the Lord will bring forth whatever fruit He pleases as we are faithful, we can trust that He will add to our number those who are being saved as He wills. Now, it seems that something else the Lord was working through to bring about all these conversions was the testimony of their fellowship together. Did you notice in the middle of verse 47, it said the church was having favor with all the people? People thought well of the church. And I assume that this was at least in part because they were struck by the love and devotion of the church body. Uh, like Jesus prayed in John 17, do you remember this? That the world would know and believe that Jesus came from God 
as a result of his people being one, being united in fellowship and love and devotion and doctrine. So their devotion to witness was fruitful, in part because of how they devoted themselves to God and one another. To devote yourself together to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayers, that has evangelistic power to others who see. And notice also that these people not only viewed the church favorably, uh, if they were converted, they became part of the church fellowship themselves. We see that at the end of verse 47. They were added to the church's number, those who were being saved. So no one was saved and then never seen again. They joined the local church. They were folded into the church family, and they became devoted with them to gathering, to the word, to fellowship, breaking bread, prayer, worship, and witness. If you are not a Christian, you can today join us in this great fellowship of the Holy Spirit and the love of the Holy Spirit because you can receive the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Spirit if you will repent of your sins and trust in Christ's saving work. Now we've uh, said a lot about the devotion of a Spirit-filled church. I, I want you to see Lastly, in this passage, also the disposition of a spirit-filled church. And by disposition, I mean the tone of the church or the, the spirit of it. Perhaps we could say the vibe of the community, uh, the attitudes that characterized their fellowship. And we could name several uh, dispositions or, or characteristics just based on the activities they devoted themselves to. Right? Things like loving, generous, hospitable, eager to learn, open-hearted, persistent. Those qualities are all appropriately inferred from this passage. But there are two dispositions that are named explicitly in this passage. Awe and gladness. See one in the beginning of verse 43. And awe came upon every soul. See the other at the end of verse 46. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. They were happy in the Lord together, and they were in awe of the Lord together. They were awestruck and joyful because they were so impressed with the reality of God and the way that the Spirit was working in them which they experienced together as they devoted themselves to all we've discussed so far today. They wondered, they, they reveled together as they believed on Christ for salvation and saw how he was saving others. Now this word awe is actually, uh, you may have a footnote about this in your Bible, it's most often the word translated fear in the Bible. And the same word describes the church in Acts 9, 31, which, which says the church was walking in the fear of the Lord. And in Acts 5, it says great fear came upon all the church. Well, that's the same word translated awe in Acts 2, 43. The spirit-filled church of Pentecost was marked by a godly fear of the Lord. They had a deep reverence, even a, a fearful awe before God. 
so, so we could say, by the Spirit's work, they walked in the fear of the Lord and the joy of the Lord. Day by day, they took their meals with glad and sincere hearts. This, this wasn't uh, fake Southern hospitality gladness. They were genuinely happy to seek the Lord together because they knew the Lord had saved them together. It was the delight of each one to to worship and serve Him. So the joy and fear of the Lord, awe and gladness. I, I think the Spirit loves to produce both of these dispositions together in a church, and not, not just one without the other. Right? We don't want a religious exuberance that's without reverence. But we don't want a solemn reverence that's dull and lifeless and joyless. Neither are the Spirit's way. God is holy, 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 and He is the fountain of every blessing and pleasure. So we should pursue the same joy and fear of the Lord together that they had in Acts 2, and we'll do that by devoting ourselves to the things they did. Now, I want to remind you as we close that these people who had this amazing church in Jerusalem right after Pentecost, they were not heroes and giants of the faith. God did not gather the creme de la creme of godliness and put them in a church together to achieve such beautiful results. These people were almost completely brand new Christians. Just weeks earlier, they had cried out for Jesus to be murdered. They demanded it. They were people who were uh, capable of being swept up in the hysteria of bloodthirsty mob groupthink. These were normal sinners, but the Spirit of God is mighty. This beautiful, devoted fellowship was the creation of the Spirit of God, given by the ascended Lord. So don't look at this passage and say, my, 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 what generous, hospitable, kind, dedicated people they were. I can never be like that. You should read these verses and think, What amazing things the Spirit of God can do in a people. We don't have any less of a portion of God's Spirit than these believers did. So we should ask the Spirit to work in us in power to make us like this. We we, we don't just need a a white-knuckle determination to be more devoted to these things. We need the Spirit to stir us, to increase love in us. Ask Him for that. Seek Him for that. Acknowledge your need for the Spirit for this kind of fellowship. Now, we've had a wonderful first year together as a church family, and the Spirit has done many wonderful things. And I can say, honestly, I have seen that you have been devoted in many ways to many of these things this past year. This is the work of the Spirit of God in you. Praise the name of Jesus. At the same time, I don't doubt that all of us recognize ways we could change to experience the Spirit's ministry even more fully. So let's strive by the power of the Spirit to do that. What do you need to change or sacrifice or repent of or add? And what might the Spirit do in your life and in the life of our church if you did?
God, I pray that you would do many more wonderful things in our church family in our second year, in the years that follow, as you will. God, I pray you would stir us up to walk in more of the love of the Spirit and the joy of the Spirit and the godly fear of the Lord that comes from the Spirit. Increase among us the fellowship of the Spirit and the witness of the Spirit that it would come through us more boldly and more frequently. Lord, we, we sincerely pray, like, like Paul did, to you be glory in the church, to you be glory in our church. Make us more like this Pentecostal church for your glory among us. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.